0: We're going to read the Bible together. We're going to read from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, to the end of the chapter. John's going to be speaking on this with us uh, in a moment. If you've got a pew Bible, one of the red pew Bibles, it's page 1178. 1178, Philippians chapter 1, from verse 18. So page 1178, Philippians 1, verse 18. This is God's Word. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which has happened to me, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way, by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us, His word.
1: So Philippians chapter one, and we're going to think through these verses together. uh, Verse 18 through to 30 this evening. And we're going to think through it uh, using this title. What what will the next three hundred and sixty days? So we have three hundred and sixty days left of this year, five are gone already. We have three hundred and sixty days left. What's it going to look like to live for Jesus? What will living for Jesus look like for us in the next three hundred and sixty days? And what we want to live or how we want to live here at Hill Street, as a church, as a community, as a church family in this place, the way we want to live is in a way that will bring glory to God. That's how we want to live. That's what we are convinced of as a ministry team and as elders and as a session, that we will live to give glory to Jesus. And the problem is this, we want to bring glory to ourselves. We don't want to bring glory to him and we get distracted. So. To help us think through this a little bit, we have all been through exams at some stage or another, and exams are a really tough time for us, right? We, we know that at that stage that it is usually the most important thing. Even at primary school, whatever exam that you face, whatever exam lies before you, it's the most important thing in your life. So at primary school, it's the 11 plus or one of the key stage exams, at secondary school, it's a transfer exam. Then, as Nigel mentioned, it's GCSEs or O-levels. Is that the equivalent? Yep. <laughs> Before my time, right? AS levels, A-levels. The driving test is in there somewhere. And then you have your university exams. So we're all used to exams. And at each stage, no matter where we are in the ladder, that particular exam is the most important thing. Well, why is it? Whenever it comes to exams, we get so easily distracted. We're interested in many other things. As we sit down to revise, we think to ourselves, I could clean the car. I could hoover the house. This room really needs dusted. I could clear out all of my cupboards. That fence, it really needs painted. I really should do it right now. I should walk the dog. I should cut the hedge. I should wash the floors. I should do anything apart from revise. Even though we know it's the most important thing yet we want to be distracted. We allow ourselves to be distracted. We let our focus shift and change. Why is that? Because somewhere inside of each of us, we know that we will get another chance at it. There will be a reset available. There will be somewhere along the line that I can go and I can repeat this. I can do it again. It actually isn't the most important thing. There's an option to repeat. But this evening, as we think about our lives... I want us to not think of it like an exam where we have a chance to repeat, a chance to resit, but actually for us all to realize that we only get one shot at this. So for the next 360 days, we have only one shot at it. We won't get a rerun. We won't get to do it again. We won't have any excuses for whenever we reach the end of the 360 days saying, I wish I had done something different. So whenever we think about living for Jesus... I want us to think this evening, what does it look like for us to follow him? What does it look like for you individually to follow Jesus Christ in the next 360 days? But not just a little bit, not just to follow him with a little bit of our lives, but with everything. What does it mean for you and for your family and for your friends and for your work colleagues and for your classmates if you are a follower of Jesus? For the next 360 days, will Jesus be the actual king of our life? For the next 360 days, will Jesus be the most precious thing to us? Will we treasure him more than anything else? Will he bring us, as Paul points us to here, deep joy? Will our joy be overflowing? We see it there in verses 25 and 26. Will our joy be bubbling up inside of us because of Christ and who he is? Will we enjoy him and glorify him? What does it look like for us as we come into 2020 to live in light of all that we have heard over the past weeks about the boy who comes to this manger, this little child who is the Christ and what he came to do? I want to tell you a story about a man called James Chalmers. This will help us think a little bit about this. James Chalmers lived from 1841 to 1901. He was the son of a stonemason in the West Highlands of Scotland, and he was converted during the 1859 revival. So after spending around 10 years working for a a London missionary society, he sets off to be a missionary in New Guinea, which is now Papua New Guinea, and he preached, and he, he wanted to preach the gospel to the cannibal people of this island. So for the next 23 years, James Chalmers labored up and down the coast visiting 105 villages, 90 of which had never seen a white man. And he established a chain of Polynesian teachers to continue this work. And during his lifetime, he lost two wives, and he faced many difficulties. Constantly under the threat of attack, he traveled unarmed as he wanted to spread the gospel. And he's recorded as saying this, I dearly love to be the first person to preach Christ in a place recording how he had deep joy in seeing communities transformed by the good news. But on Easter Sunday, the 7th of April, 1901, James Chalmers and his missionary colleague, Oliver Tompkins, took the gospel to a place called Risk Point. The villagers rejoiced at their arrival, and they invited them into their camp. And the locals soon increased their celebrations, and the festive mood was Stark for the missionaries, as they noticed piles of human skulls nestled around the corners of the huts. And without warning, the natives attacked, and they dismembered James and Oliver, and their bodies were cooked and at. Why? Why did these men take the gospel to this tribe? Why were they so inspired to preach the gospel for 23 years amongst people who could attack them at any moment and kill them? It was because they wanted to live their life for Jesus, all for Jesus. They lived their lives for him even on to death. So for us, the challenge isn't to take the gospel to cannibal people living in Papua New Guinea, although some of us may be called to be missionaries, but here's the challenge for us this evening. For the next 360 days, I want us to exalt Christ and to enjoy Christ. To exalt Christ and to enjoy Christ. You see, if we're going to exalt Christ, we have to enjoy Him. And if we enjoy Him, we will exalt Him. And that's Paul's logic here in this passage as we dig dig down into it here this evening. In Philippians 18 through to thir- chapter 1, 18 through to 30, Paul wants to get across to these people, this, this dear church that he loves, that they would have the joy of Christ. In these 12 verses, Christ is mentioned eight times. It's, it's Christ-focused. Paul, even though he's in chains and he's writing to this church, he's focused on Christ. So how will we exalt him? How can we do this? Well, it doesn't matter this evening if we are a foreign missionary or a mum, a Bible teacher or a bread man. Our call is to live a life that reflects what Paul says here in verse 20. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's our call. For 2020, our call is that Christ, that Christ, that Christ, that Christ will be exalted not me, not anything to do about me, but that he will be exalted in all, that he, in all that we do. That he will be magnified, honored, and glorified. Now, we're used to them words. What does it mean? What does it mean to magnify, to glorify, to honor Christ, to exalt him, to lift him high? Well, whenever you support a football team, for example, like Portadown Football Club, right? And Portadown had a very traumatic day yesterday. For anyone who's a Glen Avon fan, I'm sure you have Great joy in us being knocked out of the cup by Glentoran in the last minute, but if you're a Portadown fan, what happens is you talk about Portadown. Portadown is the best thing ever. It's the best football club ever. You love them much and greatly, and you talk about how great they are. You talk about how they were robbed against Glentorn because of some conspiracy within the IFA. They keep Portadown down in the Belfast teams in the cup, uh, and you follow them everywhere. You sing songs about Portadown. You pay ridiculous ticket prices to stand in a cool shed and sing songs and give off about them, right? Every week. And what you're doing as you you live your life and as you talk about the football club is you're bringing them glory. You're magnifying them. You're magnifying all that is good about the team. You're living your life in a way that exalts Portadown football club above every other football club and probably everything else in your life. So, what is exalted in your life, and what is exalted in mine? What is it that we lift high? What is it that we celebrate and glorify? If we reflect back on the year that we have just came through, what is it? What is it that we can identify that we are lifting high? Who is it? What is it in our lives? What are we bringing glory to? In the last 365 days, what do people see of us and of our lives? What has been honored? Last night, Saturday night, strange thing to do, I was dusting my room, right? And uh, I was dusting my room, and I have have three shelves on one side of my bed, and I have three shelves on the other. And I was dusting it with uh, a little uh, cloth, and uh, I was moving some of the things that was on the shelf. And on the shelf are a handful of little trophies, little rugby trophies from about 10 or 11 years ago. And for the first time in my life, I thought to myself, why do I have these at the side of my bed? These things are just collecting dust. They're not important to me any longer. But it has taken me 10 or 11 years to get to that point to say that these little trophies that were probably worth about three or four pounds, that they're not worth anything to me. And to just collect dust, and then, as I thought about it, and I thought about it in light of what we're thinking about this evening, everything in life clacks dust, doesn't it? Everything that we work for clacks dust. Everything will end up in a pile of dust or a pile of rubble or in a landfill site or in someone else's home, or it'll rot away everything that we invest into. And Paul's saying to this church in Philippi, don't invest in other things, but live for Christ, live for him, live for his glory, live for his honor, live your whole life so it's about him and not about anything else. doesn't matter if I'm in prison. It doesn't matter what people or why people are preaching Christ. There in verse 18. As long as Christ is preached, I will rejoice. Don't live your life for heaps of dust. Homes and jobs and bank accounts will pass away. But what's the one thing that won't pass away? The one thing that doesn't gather dust is people. At least I hope you don't gather dust. It's a bad sign if you're gathering dust, right? People don't gather dust. And that's Paul's logic here. There's, there's a link between living for Christ and investing in the people. He lives his life for Christ in Verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die as Gain, if I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And then the remaining verses he talks about the people. Living for Christ means that we will live for people. That we will invest in the people. Why? Because people are eternal. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, says Paul. These are perhaps the most dramatic words that he ever penned. Perhaps some of the most dramatic words in all of history. This is the very heartbeat of Christianity that should pulsate through each and every one of us. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living our lives the way God intended us to live them for Christ. And that means that we will be involved with people, that we will love people, that we will pray for people, that we will speak to people, that we will travel and journey with people, that we will invest in the people, and that we will tell people about Jesus. For me to live as Christ means Christ will be exalted in my body, and it will mean there will be fruit. People will be challenged. People will ask questions. People will see Jesus in you. And people will want to know more about the one that you exalt. And then Paul says to us in verses 27 through to 30 that we should live our lives in a manner worthy of this. Don't be frightened of those who will oppose you. Be different. Be like salt. Be like light. Be holy people. If you suffer, don't be surprised. But be resolved to live for Jesus. Paul here faces trial, possible death, and yet he says, not about me. It's not about me. It's about Christ. His whole life is consumed with Christ. Everything in his life is bound up in Christ. He is a passionate pursuit of his whole being to know Jesus and to glorify him. So for me to live and for you to live means that it's not John Graham but it's Jesus Christ, and for you it's not your name, but it is Christ's name. So imagine this. Imagine how different this church would be if we all lived for Jesus and not for ourselves. Imagine how many people would cram into this place as they would see us living for Jesus, and they would want to live for him. Imagine the times of prayer that we would have of worship and of fellowship. Because as we live for Christ, we would be living for one another. And Christ would be reflected. And this place would be brimming with love. Love for one another and love for Christ. Because we will exalt him. But if we want to exalt Christ, no matter how hard we try, we won't make it happen. We can't try harder. We can't, we can't muster it up no, no matter what we do, no matter what we sing, no matter how passionate we are from the front or, or from our prayer life. We cannot muster up exalting Christ unless, unless we enjoy Him. Verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ. I desire, Paul says. He enjoys Christ. This whole letter is about joy, but he enjoys Him. He wants to be with Him. That's a great statement, isn't it? I desire to depart and to be with Christ. And he finishes it by saying, which is far better? You see, Paul understands who Jesus is he understands his glory, his, his magnificent work on the cross for us. He understands who Jesus is and what he is like, that he is good. He says, I want to be with him. He is a growing burden. It's not just a, passion, a passing emotion, but it's this deep affection and intense longing to be with Jesus. I wonder for us in Northern Ireland, why or how this happened? That as we grow up, as we hear about Jesus, as we hear about the gospel, why or how is it that we thought that in some way it's acceptable not to get too excited about it? Salvation's wonderful, but we don't want to talk about it too much. Your relationship with Jesus, that's an amazing thing to see how God has changed you but it's a personal thing. I keep it to myself. Why do we do this with Jesus? What are we ashamed of? Because in Northern Ireland, we're very good at sharing if we get a good steak. This is what I was trying to think of, how to think it through for myself and how it relates. If we go to the tannery or to the potbelly or to the Viscount or to some other feeding establishment somewhere in Northern Ireland, you will, I guarantee it, tell people that you got a powerful steak, like a man from Dunganum. It's a powerful steak, right? And you'll bang on about it for months and months and months, maybe even years. I was down in that place once, and I tell you, the feed was powerful. The onion rings were great, the peppercorn sauce, the spuds, everything, powerful. If you want a good steak, you go to that place. And yet, how often do we talk about Jesus in the same way? Imagine going into our work and instead of sharing with people about how good a steak was, we share with them, have you heard the story about Mary and Martha in the Bible? How this man came and how Mary sat at Jesus' feet in wonder and in enjoyment of all that he had to say, that she longed and waited on every word that he had Or have you ever heard about the fishermen in the Bible who left their jobs to go and to follow Jesus and had only met him? It was mental, it was crazy, but let me tell you about what happened with these men. That Jesus changed their lives, how he used them to spread forward the gospel. Or have you heard about this man, Jesus? Jesus? You know that feeling inside of us that, that bubbles up that we, we wonder to ourselves is there mortal life and we wonder what is it all about and we feel glum and, and we get heavy and worried about our sin and the things that we have done wrong. But did you hear about this man, Jesus? And he came and he called us and he said, look, you have sin in your life but I'm going to take it away for you. Have we heard about the man, Jesus, who came to rescue us? from our sin, and to give us eternal life, to give us a new identity, and a new family, and he will dress us in clean clothes, and he will never leave us, and he will always be with us. He's the son of God, and he came here for you and for me. Imagine talking about Jesus like that to our friends, to our family, to the people that we work with, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that the live is Christ, the die is gain. And the joy that I have in here, the joy that I have in Jesus Christ, it, it just bubbles, it abounds, it overflows, and so it should be for you. So when did we flatten the gospel into a Willy Wonka golden ticket? Because that's what we do. I've got the gospel, I've got Jesus, I've got a date, I've got the little ticket and everything else. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear about that. I'm not going to open up about that. I don't want to talk to you about that. Or why, why or when did we trade our living relationship with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for some dead box ticking rule keeping exercise? Or when did we think it would be a good idea to just have Jesus as a nice additional subsection to our lives? That's not having Jesus. And if we flatten our faith into something that we do on a Sunday, then our faith will leave us tired, uninspired, unenthusiastic. Why? Because it's not seeing Jesus for who he is. It's not seeing the king of kings and letting him change us. It's not standing in awe of him. It's not saying that here's the king and he's accepted me. Even though I am full of sin, how can he take me in?" In this church in Acts and in Philippi, in the early church, the Roman Empire was not turned upside down by people who half-heartedly followed Jesus. They were all in. They were transformed. They were dreaming and praying and worshipping. They were bubbling with the gospel. They were overflowing with love. Why? because they were enjoying Jesus. We should understand this, shouldn't we? Presbyterians, what is our main aim? To enjoy him. To enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And I think that we really struggle with enjoying Jesus. Why do we struggle with it? Because we don't let him into our lives. Let his word permeate and percolate through us. Can I encourage you to sit with Jesus to take a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a glass of water and just sit in a chair and open God's word. Open it. Open it to a psalm. Open it to a gospel. Open it to one of Paul's Just open it. And pray, Jesus, let me enjoy you. And then let his word soak through us. Because I guarantee you, if you read of this book, it will change you. You will enjoy Jesus because it is living and it is active and God reveals himself to us in it. We see his very character. How else can we enjoy him? Simple things. There's many ways. Listen to music. Listen to Christian music. In your your journey to work or in your home. Read good Christian books. that might frighten you. There are many short Christian books under 100 pages that you can read that will, will, will blow your mind as people expand Jesus for you. Think about doctrine. I would love it. Nigel would love it. Peter would love it. The elders would love it. Other Christians in this place would love it. If you tapped one of us on the shoulder and said... Can I talk to you for five minutes about justification? What does it mean to be just before the king? Or our sanctification, or to be chosen, or to be adopted, or to be glorified? You see, if we want to go forward this year, if we want to go anywhere in our Christian life, central to it all is enjoying Jesus. Seeing what he has done for us. And that's what Paul says here in Philippians one eighteen through to thirty. That we wouldn't waste our lives, that we wouldn't be distracted, but that we would live and live in light of who he is, honoring him, lifting him high, living in a in a manner worthy of Christ. So as we come this evening to the Lord's table, what do we want to say? I think we want to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I am sorry that you have not been exalted and I have not enjoyed you in my life, even in the past week, never mind the past year. Jesus, I am so sorry. I am unworthy. But we can say it with a smile because he is worthy. And Jesus invites us here this evening. He invites us to come and to sit at this table, to have a foretaste of what is to come, that one day we will sit with him and gather with him in heaven and we will gather round the table, us with all our brothers and sisters, all of those who have passed on before us, and we will enjoy this great marriage supper of the Lamb where we will enjoy him forever. There's no way we're going to sit at that table and not enjoy him. And then as we enjoy him at the table, we will exalt him We will lift him high as we sing his praise and as we say, King Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I didn't deserve this, but you have been so good to me. You have forgiven me of my sin. You have cleansed me and brought me in. Jesus, thank you. So he says to us, come, See me and savor me. Walk with me and worship me. Die to self and live for me. And for many of us, that means we're going to have to count the cost. As we work through these words of Paul, and as we take them home with us, we're going to have to work through this. There will be a cost, a cost to ourselves, but he's worth it. Whatever the cost is this evening, Jesus is worth it. Surely we want to lay down our lives for him. Surely we want to have our joy in him. Surely we want to come as a church this year and exalt Jesus and enjoy him. This time next year, as we reflect, imagine if we were able to say, What a year in Hill Street! What a year because we exalted him and we enjoyed Jesus. So let's do it together. For the next 360 days, let's exalt and enjoy our King. Let us close with a little time of prayer here before we sing. Father in heaven, all we want to do is to exalt you and to enjoy you. Father, we want to die to sin. We want to live for Jesus. We want to be passionate for Jesus. We want to be enthusiastic with the gospel. We want to invest into people. There's so many things that we want to do because of you and because of what you've done for us. And the fact is that we will fall short So, Father, we ask that this evening by your Holy Spirit that you would help us, that you would sustain us, that you would garner us. Father, whenever we fall short, that we would see Jesus on the throne and we would thank him for all that he does for us. That it's not about us, but it's about him. And therefore, we can enjoy him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are our elder brother. Thank you that you came and that you've succeeded where Adam fell. Thank you that you call us by our names. That you call us to follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray here this evening that you would help us to see Jesus, illuminate him for us, help us as we seek to enjoy Jesus, our Savior, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.